Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. So welcome everyone. We will continue our weekly exploration of the guided meditations from the book, from the refuge recovery book. And uh, tonight we are on mindfulness of the truth, the, which is the fourth foundation of mindfulness. And uh, it starts on page 248, but you don't need to read along. I'll share the instructions and you can just meditate and uh, after the meditation we will um, have some time for for dialogue for discussion and uh, any questions this is the fifth of the mindfulness meditation instructions mindfulness of the truth find a comfortable way to sit Adjust your posture so that your spine is erect without being rigid or stiff. Allow the rest of your body to be relaxed around the upright spine. Rest your hands in your lap or on your legs. Allow your eyes to gently close. Bring full attention to the physical sensations of sitting still. Allow your breathing to be natural. Bring attention to your head. Release any tension in the face. Soften the eyes and relax the jaw. Scanning the body slowly downward. Relax the neck and shoulders. Feeling the rise and fall of the chest and abdomen with each breath. Soften the belly with each exhalation. Bringing the attention all the way down through the body to the places of contact with a chair or cushion. Allow your body to be supported by the seat you're on. Feel the pressure and density of the relaxed upright body sitting.
begin to expand your attention to the whole mind and body. Know your experience as it is. When you become aware of the hindrance of sleepiness, restlessness, craving, aversion or doubt, simply pay direct attention to the truth of these experiences. What does it feel like in the body? Where do you physically experience restlessness, sleepiness, aversion, or craving? Is the experience constant or constantly changing? If doubt arises, name it, explore it. What does doubt feel like in your belly? Now, now investigate the factors of awakening. Is mindfulness present?
Is the mind concentrated? Is the factor of investigation present? How is your energy and effort in this moment? Are you awake and present? Do you feel energized or lethargic? Is the factor of joy present? How do you experience the joy? What kind of sensations are associated with joy? What kind of thoughts arise in the mind when joy is present? Are you attached to these thoughts and feelings? Or do you, or do you let them rise and pass? Do you feel equanimous with your mind and body? Are you at ease, balanced? Allow relaxation to arise. Right now, it's just like this, the way it is. Relax around it and into it. Let it be and observe. Investigate and contemplate the truth of each moment as it manifests in the body and mind.
remember to keep the intention of objective friendliness. Meet each experience with acceptance and curiosity. So this is suffering, hello. Attachment, hello, craving. You feel like a tightness in my jaw, a hardness in my belly, and an abusive voice in my mind. Or so this is joy, welcome. You feel warm and embracing, sweet and pleasant. My belly is soft, chest open, and jaw is relaxed. We can welcome all the emotions, sensations, and truth of our experience in mindful awareness. All that arises passes. There is nothing worth clinging to. Let it all come. Let it all go. When you're ready, you can allow your eyes to open, allow your body to move, stretch, release tension. And uh, of course, as always, the encouragement to continue mindfulness. One of the ways that we can continue mindfulness as we transition from the um, formal sitting meditation um, to this venue or if you're at a meeting or if you're in a meeting uh, eventually or um, it's a great practice to continue to place like 80 or 90 percent of your own attention in your own body sometimes when we're listening to someone or we're in a group we start giving away all of our attention we get into our head and we give all of our attention out there Rather than, and, and sometimes it even feels like this leaning into, like you want to get closer to the screen or you want to lean into what's happening. Part of mindfulness can be, what if I keep like 80% of my attention and my body sort of leaning back into me, into this experience? Still enough awareness of hearing and seeing uh, and cognizing to fully receive everything that's being said. Um, actually receiving and um, hearing doesn't take much effort for most of us. I mean, you have to not get lost in our own uh, thoughts, our own world, uh, but just coming back to the body, keeping most of your attention in your body will help you do that. And as you know, this meditation is about uh, what it's like to live in a human body with a human mind. And it's the, the, the final um, foundation you know, we start with ignore the mind and pay attention to the breath and get good at that. Break your addiction to thinking. First foundation of mindfulness. Keep coming back to the breath. And then the Buddha's instructions uh, expand to say, okay, you're with the breath now. What else is happening in the body? Continue to let the thoughts be in the background. And now you're, you're feeling all of the sensations scanning from head to toe, exploring, investigating the body. Uh, 
What does it feel like? What's the feeling tone? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? Okay, you're you know, developing that skill of investigation and, and uh, awareness of how we're perceiving what's happening as pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Now let's start to investigate the mind. In the last couple of weeks, we had the first start to, um, after grounding in the breath and body, now observe uh, the impermanent process of thoughts arising and passing. Try not to even get too involved in the content. Just, oh, that's a thought coming and going, thought coming and going, plan, memory, hope, fear, chaos, loathing, fear, you know, like whatever the mind's doing, um, just as a process, just thoughts arising and passing, this core transformative insight that will help our recovery so much when we truly understand impermanence, impermanence in the body, impermanence of feeling tone, and impermanence of thoughts and emotions arising in the mind and being felt in the body. And then we get a little bit more specific of like, okay, not only what's the process of mind, but what are the um, contents? What is my mind thinking about? Um, okay, it's planning. And it's this plan, uh, it's a fantasy plan, or it's a real plan. It's something I need to think about for work or for my relationship or what's for dinner. Or, you know, sometimes uh, they're very practical plans and we need to uh, acknowledge that. And sometimes it's complete fantasy planning um, or content is memory. And it's um, one of the ways that the, the Buddha asks us to do that level is um, identify, is this a craving? Is this an aversion? And, and identify when the mind's contents are um, sort of wholesome or unwholesome. Because sometimes there's no craving and there's a, a feeling of equanimity in the mind like we explore here in this fourth foundation. Um, there's, there's, there's peace, there's joy. Um, and this, this final piece, the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which uh, explores in this form, in the, in the original traditional lists that is given in the fourth foundation, I think there's five things and I'm just really exploring a couple of them here. Um, the four noble truths, the six sense doors, the five hindrances, the seven factors of awakening, and maybe the five faculties. But I wanted to keep it simple. Uh, a lot of people that are coming into refuge are um, being uh, introduced to this and are new meditators. Some of you are old school meditators. Um, but my, my sense is that the two most important kind of practical pieces of this mindfulness of the truth is, are the hindrances, that which is hindering my freedom in this moment, if I'm taking them personal, if I'm entangled with them, are the hindrances present? And let me learn to be with and meditate with and turn towards the hindrances. We'll talk about that for in a minute. And then also, uh, are the awakening factors? Is, is, is this, am I mindful? Am I concentrated? Am I investigating the mind? Is there any joy and equanimity present? Like, am I in this? Uh, and what's arising as I bring the mindfulness and get concentrated and start to um, um, see more clearly what's happening in my mind and in my heart? Um, the hindrances, I think, are so important for us in our recovery. Intimacy with the hindrances, uh, meditating on the hindrances, understanding that the hindrances are impersonal. They're not self. They're not, they're not your fault. Meditating um, becoming more and more intimate and connected with, of course, I'm going to have doubt and identifying, oh, this is doubt. Of course, your mind's going to keep doing that. And uh, even if you become a fully recovered, awakened being, the human mind still doubts. Uh, even the Buddha's mind experienced doubt. It's just part of the package. It's just part of what the human mind does. 
So the more we know that and the more we, rather than um, pre-mindfulness, usually we just, we believe it, we take it personal, um, we identify and we sort of incarnate as somebody with self-doubt. Like, so all forms of self-hatred, uh, low self-esteem, unworthiness, all of those ways that we suffer, that's all just doubt, doubting our worth, doubting our ability, doubting our um, worthiness of love or however that doubt, the core of it is, is it's just a mind doubting. Uh, whether that, you know, and of course we can, in the inventories, investigate the conditions in our life that led to that kind of confusion. Doubt is, is confusion uh, or ignorance. Um, and uh, the first two pairs of, in this human body as addicts, as recovering people, um, of course there's going to be craving for pleasure. It's the second noble truth. It's the reality. It's not your fault. Craving is the water that we live in, it's the air that we breathe, it's the wiring of this nervous system. We have to learn to meditate, turning towards the cravings, turning towards the, uh, likewise, the aversion, the survival instinct, the millions of years of human evolution of this animal body that loves pleasure and hates pain. Just because we're sober, we're not going to be able to override that just because we're in recovery, just because we're meditators. It's going to be what we're meditating with. It's why mindfulness is the practice of turning towards what is. Unlike many other meditations, which invite us to turn away and avoid and ignore and suppress. Now, the thing about concentration-based meditations where we get to like even the first foundation of mindfulness where you get to ignore your mind it feels fucking good right <laughs> so many of us get addicted to that first foundation because it's like oh wait no i want to ignore the cravings and the doubts and the aversions and the judgments and we get so stuck in oh no i want to avoid but full mindfulness is not an avoidance. It's an embodiment. It's a, a turning towards. It's a um, learning to participate with what's arising, learning to relate directly to and respond wisely directly to these five hindrances, which, again, aren't going away. For the rest of your life, your mind will crave, judge, anxiousness and restlessness, those, those other two, um, will continue. Sometimes you're going to be anxious, nervous. Um, uh, sometimes you're going to be, you're going to have worry. You're going to worry. Your mind's going to worry. Of course it is. Sometimes you're going to be slothful, procrastinating, uh, you know, lazy, sleepy. <laughs> of course it's going to. There's going to be doubt. So one of the things that I, and I hope it lands in the way for you that it lands for me, that I love about the Dharma and how it has helped me so much in my recovery is it normalizes the human condition rather than pathologizing and, and, and blaming and you know, saying like, it's like this because you're a sinner or something like that. The Buddha just comes out, humanist psychology, not your fault. This is the way it is to be a human being. This is how the human mind works. Totally your responsibility to learn to respond more wisely to it. You have the ability. You have the instructions. Here's how to not suffer so much about this human condition that's a setup for suffering. Here's the intervention. The intervention is mindfulness. The intervention is turning towards, stop running, <laughs> turn around, shut up, sit down <laughs> and feel your feelings and see they're not as scary as we thought. They're just thoughts and feelings and sensations. And we can sit with them and we can become intimate with them. And the Tibetan Buddhists, um, Sorry to go off, you know, tradition, but the Tibetan Buddhists have this beautiful saying where they say, uh, invite the uh, demons in for tea. 
you know, like, what are your demons? Is doubt one of your demons that I'm unworthy, the unworthiness demon, the I'm incapable demon, the I'm a piece of shit demon, <laughs> you know? Uh, the, they say, you know, in, in this kind of Dharma practice, invite them in for tea, say, oh, just as we're doing in this meditation, oh, hello, suffering. <laughs> Would you like a cup of tea? Let me become friends with this mind state rather than continuing to try to battle the demons or run from the demons or deny the demons or drink and use the demons away. We get sober, we have to learn to live with them. And the reality is, is the more you turn towards them, the less scary they become. It's just your mind. It's not so personal. It's not your fault. Uh, it's all becomes quite manageable. And then of course, as we turn towards the mind and the more we meditate, it's not all bad news. You start to see, oh yeah, there's hindrances arising and passing sometimes, but there's also these, you know, sometimes I'm quite present and mindfulness feels like this and this embodied present time awareness. And, and sometimes I'm quite concentrated and I'm focused and I'm interested in, in investigating what's happening. And there's this curiosity uh, about my own mind and heart and about the world. And that can lead to uh, equanimity, this balanced feeling and experiences of joy and rapture. And, um, you know, it's quite interesting, uh, this human uh, mind under the influence of dharma, of mindfulness, of loving kindness and compassion, the trained mind. You know, we have this image that we talked about earlier of the untrained mind being like this crazy monkey swinging from the past to the future and just avoiding and judging and like, like, like active addiction. But then in recovery, we start to settle here, learn to feel, learn to uh, embody. And, and the mind, uh, you start to un uncover some of the beautiful parts of your mind. Um, some of the most pleasant experiences I've ever had in my life, only slightly less pleasant than heroin, have been through meditation. Sustained experiences of joy that came without any sensual source. Sitting here with achy knees and a sore back, <laughs> And joy, just sort of this, uh, it's called sukha, just this unlocks one within us and uh, radiates through us. And it's um, incredibly pleasant. And it doesn't last, <laughs> right? And, the, you know, of course, us junkies, we got to be careful for then getting, uh, you know, this sort of spiritual experience chasing and trying to get that spiritual, uh, you know, joy fixed through our meditation. It all, and as the meditation ends, um, all that arises passes, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. There is nothing worth clinging to, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant. Let it all come and let it all go. So, you know, I, I know that one of the things that we all have to be careful for um, of, of a bunch of pleasure seeking avoidance, uh, you know, people as, as recovering addicts, that we don't turn meditation into the next thing that we suffer about. Um, that having been said, much better to chase a, uh, much, much better to chase spiritual experience than, than material or sensual experience. But uh, some of us will share with you that uh, some of the suffering um, when you don't, when you're not able to, to get the fix, <laughs> uh, can really suck. Uh, I know like some people in our community are suffering because a lot of those deeper meditative phenomena and the, the, the that list of joy and rapture and uh, equanimity, a lot of those states can't really be un unlocked very often unless you're in deep retreat. Like when I'm over here bragging about the joy that I had, I was like two months into a three month silent retreat of sitting, you know, 12, 15 hours a day for 90 days. 
And like, yeah, if you do that shit, you're going to have some wild experiences from out of nowhere, but it's not out of nowhere. You've built that concentration and that mindfulness over, you know, weeks and months of meditation practice. And then some of us, uh, you know, can get, go a little overboard and be like, well, I need to sit five meditation uh, retreats a year because that's the only place that I really get to unlock the joy. Uh, yeah, I'm talking to you, Rachel. Yeah. And, um, and everybody else in that camp. But again, it's a harm reduction, you know, better to suffer about seeking joy than seeking dope. So uh, those are some of my thoughts. What are your comments, questions, experiences with this level of our recovery practice? See a couple questions um, here. Uh, aggregates, yes, Richard. Aggregates uh, are the fifth. That's correct, I believe. Um, Stacy is asking: Is there a specific Dharma book someone could recommend? Um, in reference recovery, we don't really recommend uh, outside literature since this is a sort of refuge. There's so many good Dharma books, and you could ask, um, you know, people that but here since this is a, a refuge sort of event um it's a little tricky to start recommending different books and different traditions and different teachers and uh you know one of the things that i was have been concerned personally been concerned about since i've been teaching whether it was you know dharma punks um and that you know first book of mine that inspired a whole bunch of people that didn't meditate to meditate was I started to realize because people started emailing me like, thank you for turning me onto the Dharma. And now I'm reading this book or I'm going to this teacher. And I over and over had this like cringe of like, oh shit, I inspired people to, um, you know, get interested in Buddhism, but then they went and got interested in this tradition that's not a great tradition or is not a you know teacher who doesn't have much integrity or, you know, um, or a tradition that doesn't really lead to liberation in my uh, mind or something. So in Refuge, we don't, we can't recommend uh, outside literature, um, but you'll find a lot of good and interesting books. And my own view and opinion is um, be a little cautious uh, and a little skeptical about what you read and um, teachers and who you, you know, who you listen to. Um, that's my cautious, uh, you know, sort of a healthy skepticism of teachers and of, and of Buddhist uh, perspectives. Uh, Richard, jump in. Thank you, Noah. Appreciate your time tonight, your teaching. I had a question about the factors of awakening. Yes. Uh, so today, last couple of days, I've been sitting with a lot of pain. And um, you know, I'm doing these meditations, I'm doing this one, and when I'm getting to uh, the parts about um, mindfulness, yes, I'm being friendly with myself, non-judgmental, just sitting with the pain, concentrated, oh yeah, investigation, yes, but then it gets into uh, joy, there's no joy, there's no joy, um, so I don't know if, if, you know, you just sit with your pain and there's no joy, so... Um, do the factors of mindfulness uh, of awakening, I'm sorry, do they indicate uh, that mindfulness has been attained or is this something to work on? Um, I don't know. Do they just naturally arise or what if they don't? Um, yes, they naturally arise and um, sometimes they don't. Sometimes all you see is the hindrances, is the pain and the aversion to the pain. Sometimes all you see is the first and second noble truth, is you see the, the suffering the, um, and the craving for it to be different, right? And, and even the lack of joy as a, um, another cause of suffering, because I'm, I'm uncomfortable and I'm having unpleasant emotions and I want joy. I heard joy in the instructions <laughs> and I'm craving for that. And I'm, um, you know, judging, my, you know, and then the doubt comes in, 
right? Okay. The mul multiple hindrance attack. The, the, the oh, okay, wait, joy is part of this, but I don't have any joy, so I must be doing it wrong, and I'm never going to get there, and but I'm craving for it, but and then maybe we get aversive of like, you know what, fuck refuge, and, and Noah's full of shit, and Buddhism sucks, and all of a sudden the mind is like in this, uh, you know, attack mode, and we can track it all back and go, oh, I'm just un having unpleasant thoughts and feelings right now. And also there's craving. There's craving for, I want pleasant, I want peace, I want equanimity, I want joy. Mm. And the answer is on the path, and you've been on the path for a long time, and I know for sure, Richard, you've had joy at times. Yeah, in yeah. the past. Yes, it, it comes and it goes. Right. Uh, just because it's not present right now, right now you're in some dukkha, right? You're in some first noble truth, you're in some aversion, you're in, you know, but the more we meet that with friendliness, the more we invite that uh, demon in, the more we turn towards it, become intimate with it and friendly towards it, then we can sit with our pain. And sometimes the unpleasantness and the joy will coexist. Be like, this is really hard thoughts and feelings, but the fact that I'm meeting them with friendliness is really sweet, really uh, soft and, and vulnerable and sweet that I finally learned how to meet my own pain with some love. And it's still pain, but there's almost a sense of, of ease and well-being and joy that's coexisting with my pain because I'm no longer hating it and running from it and medicating it and avoiding it and whatever we've been doing. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll hang out there. Thank now, you. you know, the other thing, uh, I think you've probably heard me say this, and I, I wanted to say it in my rant earlier. I mentioned that even if we're, even, even the Buddha continued to experience pain and the hindrances. I don't know how many of you know the story, the mythology of the awakening of Siddhartha, but the, the images that are used is him sitting under the tree the Bodhi tree, the tree of enlightenment, and he's being attacked. And he's being attacked by craving and by aversion and by doubt. And he refers to this in Buddhism in the sort of mythology kind of language. Um, they turn it into this sort of external forces. But of course, it's all just analogy for mind states. He's sitting there with his mind and his mind is attacking him. You're, not, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> you would be happier if you were getting laid. <laughs> you know, like, and his, his mind is you know, craving lust and, you know, and is doing all of the shit that all of our minds do on the verge of enlightenment. So that in itself should help all of us not judge our practice so much and be like, well, why am I in pain? Like, of course, like even this guy who's about to wake up fully is still facing those unpleasant mind states. And then he wakes up and he sees through it and he says, I, know, I now know how to meet these pine, painful mind states with compassion. I now know how to meet um, this craving with non-attachment. I, uh, I don't, I'm no longer um, satisfying cravings in that way that aren't appropriate. Um, and when doubt arises, he touches the earth. And he says, you know, my worthiness, my ability is just being connected as the four elements, as connected to all living beings. We are all worthy. Worthiness is uh, our birthright. Enlightenment is not our birthright, <laughs> but worthiness and ability to get enlightened is something that we can all do. And enlightenment is a lofty. Maybe we should bring it down to recover. <laughs> we can all recover. And part of our recovery and refuge in this Buddhist base is we can learn to be with our pain. We can learn to be uncomfortable. And we can learn to be more kind to it. But the rant I'm going on here is because even after awakening, that those mind states continued with Siddhartha continued with the Buddha. He said the very next day, doubt came back. Very next day, judgment came back. He said, but now, he said, I used to take it personal. 
I used to think I am. And now I've seen through it and I say, oh, this is just what the mind does. And now I turn towards Mara and I say, I see you, Mara. I see aversion, craving, doubt. And I no longer get hooked into it. And I no longer suffer about it because now I'm mindful of what's arising in my mind. And I learn to not take it personal and to have some discernment and, and to meet it with love and compassion and, and forgiveness. So it's not gonna be joy all of the time. Sometimes it's gonna be really unpleasant thoughts and feelings. And sometimes the better we get at the more sustained ability to be with all of that pain in our life, we're gonna start seeing the kind of clouds, um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, parting and, and more joy present for, you know, no reason, not just because we're eating something delicious or doing something fun, but just uh, the, the way that part of our heart shines forth. I had one meditation teacher who said, the more you do mindfulness and the more you turn towards, he's like, there's a, it's almost like there's a curtain over your heart that starts to get pulled back and it gets pulled back and it gets pulled back. And then your heart shines forth kindness towards yourself and everyone else and compassion towards yourself and everyone else and appreciation and that sort of appreciative joy that comes with and, and equanimity. And he said, these qualities that we'll be going into next week, he said, they're not really something you develop. They're something that have always been here and that mindfulness uncovers. And I love that perspective. Maybe the last piece um, is like, well, for all of us, you know, impatient addicts in recovery, well, how long does it fucking take? <laughs> How long do I go to? How many retreats? How long? Um, and there's no answer. And unfortunately, the answer has something to do with our karma. And, and, and um, there's no, you know, psychologically probably has to do something with our trauma in this lifetime. And um, so we don't know how long it's going to take, but we just, we just keep going one breath at a time, one, one moment at a time. Okay. Somebody's placing that there's meetings. Check out the chat. There's some good stuff in the chat. Um, yeah, so there's a question about if it's your first Zoom meeting and it's um, it's a little confusing. I'm sorry for confusing you. Welcome to Refuge Recovery. This is not a traditional Refuge Recovery meeting. This is more um, like my commentary on, on some of the meditations. So um, yeah, and, and I see in the chat that people have posted, um, go to meetings. You know, Refuge Recovery is peer-led volunteer groups. Um, you won't get this kind of rant, hopefully, in a refuge recovery meeting. This is a very different uh, event that Refuge Recovery World Services hosts with me since I wrote the book and am the founder of the program. Um, I'm just trying to be of service and share some of my experience and with, with people who are showing up here. But really, it's the meetings where you will support each other and you will um, be guided in these meditations and have the opportunity to discuss it. So um, welcome, Brittany, and thank you, Kelsey, for um, posting the meeting schedule in there. Um, Jen in Colorado, feel free to jump in and ask a question. Okay. Um, well, I guess um, I, I sort of am just a little bit curious in, um, well, excuse me, thank you for guiding our meditation. <laughs> um, and where in the flip do uh, I didn't have any emotions today because they all boiled out. The impurities are gone from my, you know, whatever the other day with some of my step work. But um, where would emotions um, fall into some of this stuff? Is there a uh, place for that shit? 
Yeah, it's, um, and you know, a, a lot of what we call the hindrances are just emotions. Okay. And, and also the, you know, on some level, the hindrances are a little bit of like negative or afflictive emotions and the awakening qualities uh, um, or factors are kind of some pleasant emotions. So of course, it's, it's a lot of what we're seeing in our mind. And, and then this question of like, not only how does the emotion arise in our mind, where do we feel it in our body? Where do you feel joy as an emotion? Where do you feel that in your body? Uh, anger is an emotion. Where do you feel that? So this connection between the heart and mind and body. Um, so 100% mindfulness is mindfulness also of, of emotion. Well, this one was really cool because everything was blank up in here and I just watched an Eckhart Tolle um segment and um you know uh, that guy holy flip I don't know if there's a word for being humbled and mind blown by this man's um what he has to share it's amazing but so that was clear but he spoke about the ego so I ended up using this one as like a little bit of a um intent and kind of a directive for myself to like, hey, if this is blank up in here for you, how about you leave this space with a crystalline residue that will somehow work for you to disintegrate unwholesome aspects of your ego, you know? So that was really cool. So thank you. Sound, sounds interesting. Nice to see you, Jen. You. Sal. Noah, thank you very much, and uh, I'm psyched for this Saturday, uh, for this last Saturday of the month. I can't wait. But uh, my understanding, and first of all, I, I really enjoyed your talk, I, and I, and I and I and I got the you know like when you were sharing about when you were telling us that it's we have to be careful not to get too attached to the joy, because you know as as a, as an addict, I want more of that. But my problem is I get attached to everything, including my pain. So, you know, because it's whatever, I just get attached and I keep forgetting that nothing is permanent. I think that just because I'm in the state, it's gonna last forever. And so what I try to do is always remember the Buddha's word that nothing is permanent and that the actual cause of my suffering is not the pain, but the fact that I'm holding on to the pain actually hurts more than the pain itself. I just, it's, I'm not my pain. The pain is the pain. I'm not the joy. The joy is the joy. I am who I am. I'm just Sal and I just have to experience everything. But, you know, that's why I was a junkie all my life. I wanted that moment to last forever and it never did, you know, and then I'd get disappointed and I want more. And, and I was even, the disappointment made me want even more. So what I'm just trying to say is what I try to practice is just non-permanence and non-attachment. Even though I invite the demons in or the joy and I invite it in, but I just have to remember to let it go. Sometimes I get rope burns from holding on so hard. And that's just part of the process. But again, thank you for your service. You're welcome. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, you, you named it. It's the impermanence. And we're all forgetters about that. And it's, it's wired into us. It's counter to our instinctual survival uh, something to um, really you know, live fully in harmony with, with impermanence. Um, and that's why the Dharma is so fucking radical, constantly reminding us about what's actually true about reality, <laughs> which is that there's nothing worth clinging to, but we're wired, you know, we're born into this clinging body. Um, and so, so some of the, of course, mindfulness constantly reminding us of the arising and passing nature of things. Um, there's, uh, it's not in the core program of refuge, but there's those, those five, uh, daily reflections that many people practice in Buddhism, where we say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get sick, I'm going to get old, I'm going to get die, I'm not exempt from any of that. Everything that I cling to will be lost, you know, like impermanence is the reality. And my actions, my karma is my only true possession. And the more we condition our mind with all things are impermanent, nothing is worth clinging to, 
then you know the more we start to behave in in harmony with that and and see through that lens now uh, also we don't want to go too far into the detachment right so you know there's a there was a time in the buddha's life where he had gone hard on the kind of loathsomeness of the body and the impermanence and the you know and uh, people had actually started committing suicide they're like well fuck it i want out <laughs> This is being human is gross. I'm out of here. Uh, so like we do have to find a balance of um, everything's impermanent. And my job is to be connectedly intimate, embodied, and willing to feel the 10,000 sorrows of existence, as well as enjoy the 10,000 joys of existence with a embodied non-attached connection rather than avoidance or I only want the good shit and I don't want the, I only want the sweet and delicious and I don't want the, the bitter, all of it. So maybe we'll end there. Um, Joseph has posted in the chat. Thank you for practicing RR today to support your refuge recovery um, please donate at the worldservices.org. Um, so please do that. Uh, I don't, I, I do this as service. I'm not receiving any financial compensation. I don't receive any financial compensation from anything refuge recovery related. It's all just service at this point. Um, actually, as I say that I, the only financial compensation I get is some, um, portion of the proceeds of the book, even though the book has the, the has been donated to to Refuge Recovery World Services, I do receive some um, royalties from that, but everything else is just service. Everything goes to the to the program. But if you can uh, support us, please do. And um, goes to a good cause. And I think that's it for tonight. Next week, I see that the next meditation is eating meditation. Um, and I want to talk about eating meditation, but I'm not sure about leading a guided eating meditation on Zoom. Although I guess since everybody's at home, you might have snacks and you might be able to grab some snacks, but it just feels like it's going to be chaotic. Like people are going to be running to the fridge to grab some, you know, snacks or whatever. So I think I'm going to skip the eating meditation, but I do want to discuss it. And we'll jump right into the heart practices. And I think it can, we start with compassion. So next week we'll, we'll jump into the compassion meditation practices. And um, any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of this path of recovery, the merit be offered outward in all directions shared with all beings. Those suffering of addiction, may they find recovery and those suffering of everything else, may they find freedom. So uh, thank you for tuning in tonight. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery Path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online Refuge Recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.